I'll be reading from Titus chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. And then your Red Pew Bible, that's on page 999. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. It's great to see you this evening. If you'll um, be opening your Bibles to Titus 3, if you haven't already done so, I'll meet you there in just a few minutes. Um, indulge me for just a minute, if you will. A couple of things. First of all, I'd like to ask for your prayers for me. Uh, in the morning, I'm going to wake up really early and I'm going to drive to Austin. And I am teaching the books of First and Second Thessalonians this week, all day long, every day, uh, to the uh, School of Preaching over there in Austin, the Southwest School of Bible Studies. And so um, I'd appreciate your prayers on my behalf half mainly for strength and endurance because uh, I'll start teaching every day about 9 a.m. and be done about 4 p.m. and uh, so it's um, it's a lot but um, if you have any questions about first and second Thessalonians I'm probably your guy uh, at, at this very moment anyway but um, anyway please uh, please pray for me in that and I'm very thankful to you and I'm thankful to the elders here for allowing me opportunities like this um, we're um, uh, we're working, I'm trying to work with the school there a little bit. They've, they've asked me to teach on a more regular basis and I've said it's just too far away. There's just too much going on in the work here at Katy. And so they've tried to accommodate me by saying, well, would you come maybe a week or so each year? And I uh, said, yeah, I think I can make that work. So um, really appreciate the opportunity to be able to do that and to work with the students there. Second thing, um, I realized that it's, it's shaking some of your faith that there's not been PowerPoint the last couple of Sunday mornings. I apologize for that, but let me say this. Uh, here's where that came from in my thinking. Prior to 2020, when COVID started, I was using PowerPoint in my sermons maybe 50% of the time. I don't know if you realize that or not, but maybe half the time. And then when the lockdown started since that time, since March of 2020, it's been basically 100%. And the reason I've done that, me personally, my ministry, the reason I've done 100% of the time using PowerPoint is because primarily of our live stream. And I've known that there are a lot of people that just weren't able to get out and things like that. And I realize how, how much of an advantage that is in that format. Um, but then a couple of weeks ago, I was able to go to Louisiana and to, to preach a gospel meeting up there at the church where uh, Angie and the kids and I were prior to coming here. 
And I didn't use PowerPoint when I was there and it was a lot of fun. Uh, Just for me, it just was. There's just some things about preaching uh, that you can do when you're not wedded to a PowerPoint, a bunch of slides that you just can't do when you have a bunch of slides. So just telling you, um, I'm not gonna do this all the time, but now and again, I'm gonna just say, there's a slide and there's nothing else, okay? And that's not tonight, but every once in a while. So I don't wanna shift gears on you too quickly and you know, just really upset anybody, but that's, that's what I'm doing uh, personally. I'm thinking probably there's some things that, and, and by the way, it changes the way you listen to a sermon. I don't know if you realize that. There's a lot of good about PowerPoint, a lot of good but it does change the way we listen to sermons. And when you're busy writing down the things that are on the screen, there may be some things that you're missing in, in your auditory process uh, that, that maybe God really wanted you to hear. Uh, and so it's not bad to use PowerPoint. I plan to continue doing it, but I'm just telling you what goes on with me as a preacher. I want you more than anything else, I want you to be changed for good by the word of God being shared with you. And I'm trying to think as a preacher and as a Bible class teacher, I'm trying to think personally, how can I maximize that? And probably not using PowerPoint in every single sermon going forward is probably gonna be what that looks like to some degree. Plus, it's a lot more fun for me to not use PowerPoint, just saying. So anyway, thank you very much for your patience with me in that regard. I really appreciate it. All right, on to Titus. We are going to conclude our studies of Titus this evening. We've been studying through the book on Sunday nights for a couple of months now. And Titus chapter 3, verses 8 through 15 deals with some final encouraging thoughts. And it's interesting to stop and think about. Titus is about this young man, Titus, on the island of Crete 2,000 years ago. And his job is, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, to go around to all the churches on that island, Titus 1, 5, and to set in order the things that were lacking, to appoint elders in every church. And so part of what Titus was supposed to be doing was making sure that people's faith was growing. He was supposed to be making sure that elders were being developed and appointed in every congregation. Then he goes on and gives qualifications of elders, Titus chapter one, verses six through nine. All of this is Titus's responsibility. And so when you get to Titus three, verses eight through 15, these are kind of final words, especially to Titus. He's a leader, he's a young man in the early church And the idea basically is this, Titus, don't let the church lose its focus. Don't let the people of God become distracted because there are so many things happening in our lives that it's really easy for the people of God to become distracted from what's really most important. And that is Christ and his gospel. It's extremely important that Titus, you and the elders in the churches there on Crete and all the Christians that you make sure that you're keeping focused on the important things. And so you ask the question, well, what are those things and how do we avoid losing our focus? You know, that question needs to be asked in 2023 by the church here in Katy. How can we avoid losing our focus on the things that are most important? How can we? Here are five ways that we can help avoid lose our focus. As you look at Titus chapter three, verses eight through 15, notice first of all, by challenging people, God's leaders, elders, preachers, Bible class teachers, parents, other Christians, we need to challenge one another not to lose our focus. Look at Titus chapter three and verse eight. Listen to what he says, Titus three, verse eight. 
This is a faithful saying, he says. The saying is trustworthy. I want you, Titus, to insist on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Challenge the people, constantly remind them that they are to be devoted to good works. Who is the, uh, the subject being addressed here? Those who have believed in God, challenge Christians. Tell those Christians that good works is what they're supposed to be all about. What? Devote themselves to good works. You know, every once in a while, we ought to just take a self-assessment, every one of us individually, us as a congregation, and ask the question, are we, am I, devoted to doing good? And not just good for good's sake. You know, there are a lot of good moral people in the world. When we talk about good works in the book of Titus, everything that God commands is a good work. Am I devoted to doing what God commands? Am I devoted to doing what's good in his sight? Because I belong to Jesus and because I have a relationship with his people, am I devoted to good works? And then as you look at the passage, why? Why should the church stay focused on being devoted to good works? Because these things, good works, are excellent and profitable. Excellent. I want to be all about what God says is excellent, don't you? And I wanna do things that are profitable. You know, a lot of people in their lives worry about significance and they worry about how can I do something that's meaningful? How can I make my mark on the world? This passage is saying, the way that we make a difference in the lives of others, brothers and sisters, is by being devoted to good works. Not becoming distracted, not becoming sidetracked, and not stopping and getting mad and saying, well, nobody else wants to do good works, so I'm not going to do anything either. Rather, Be devoted to good works. Keep your eye on the ball, Christ and his gospel at the center of your heart and mind. We need to challenge one another to that end. Secondly, as you look at verses nine through 11, we need to warn one another. And elders and gospel preachers and Bible class teachers especially, the warning aspect of of, of challenging each other, of of motivating each other, of keeping our eye on the ball and keeping focused is, is involved here. Look at Titus chapter three, verse nine. It says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. He tells us something that we are to avoid. We're to avoid these things, foolish controversies, genealogies. What has he got in mind? Sometimes, and it seems that what's really in view here in verse 9, especially as you look at verses 10 and 11, it seems that there are people that are standing up and teaching and preaching, and what they say may come from the Old Testament, for example, but it's not really helpful to anybody. They're saying some things that may be fascinating to them. They're talking about genealogies or they're talking about speculations. They're thinking about things from the scriptures that, that are esoteric, that are, that are difficult to discern. And really what they ought to be focused on is the good works in Christ and the gospel. There's nothing wrong with religious controversy at all. There's nothing wrong with answering doctrines and things like that. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying, you need to assess what kind of diet the church is eating spiritually. What kinds of lessons are being heard consistently spiritually? And if the lessons that people are hearing and the teaching that we're giving each other has to do with foolishness and speculation and things that are related to the Bible but really are not building up anybody's faith because you can't know some answers to some questions, you just can't, avoid those things. 
warning people, don't get involved in those things. Why not? Look at the end of verse nine, because these things at the end of verse nine are unprofitable and worthless. Compare that to verse eight, the things that are excellent and profitable. You see that? In verse eight, things are excellent and profitable. What things? Good works. In verse nine, worthless, those kinds of things, unprofitable. That's what the the speculative teachings are all about. And then he talks about not just the teaching itself, but he talks about the teachers. Look at verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division by not teaching sound doctrine, not teaching healthy things, not teaching about Christ and his gospel and keeping that as his emphasis, someone who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And so the challenge, the warning is, You watch out for people that are going around doing this kind of teaching. You watch out for people that don't want to abide by what's healthy. They don't want to preach about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and how that applies to every aspect of our lives as Christians. They don't want to talk about those things. Reject those people. Notice, by the way, it doesn't say just reject out of hand. It says give them a first and then a second admonition. Do you see that? First and second admonition. So somebody decides they're gonna start teaching things that are unhealthy and divisive. You go to that person a first time and you say, listen, in all sincerity, I care about you, I care about your soul and I care about what you're feeding the church. You need to stop doing this kind of teaching. You need to stop saying these kinds of things. And then they keep on doing it. You know what you do? You go to them a second time and you say, listen, you've got to stop this. You can't continue teaching these kinds of things. This is not healthy for the Lord's church. It's not healthy for the people of God. And if a first and second admonition, this person continues to do what they were doing before, then there's a verdict in verse 11. This person is warped and self-condemned. This person is sinful. How do you know? I can't judge anyone's heart. I can know it's true because if you've done what Titus 3 verses 10 and 11 tell us to do, talk to this person, admonish this person the first time, then a second time if necessary, by the third time, you've got a pretty good idea of what's going on in that person's heart regardless because the Bible tells you so. Titus, deal with people in this way. Be patient, be kind, be gentle, but do something about it. Don't allow these kinds of teachings and these kinds of things to continue among the people of God. Keep your focus on what's important, Christ and his gospel. Third, how do we keep our focus? How do we make sure that we're not getting distracted by things that are unimportant and that are useless and worthless and unprofitable? How do we do that? By showing love toward one another. Look at verses 12 and 13 of Titus 3. Beginning in verse 12, it says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Titus, you, Titus, on the island of Crete, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there, Paul writes. So you, verse 13, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Showing love for one another. You know, you look at this and you start to see kind of the curtain pulled back. You start to see a little bit of a glimpse into the logistics and the relationships that happened among early Christians. And what you see is love all around. Watch this. 
through mutual ministry. Titus is in a ministry and his ministry is connected to Paul. It's connected to Tychicus and, and all these other individuals that are mentioned here. It's a mutual ministry. And what Paul is doing is saying, Paul, my ministry to you, I'm going to send Artemis or Tychicus. I'm going to send one of these men and I'll send them soon. And when you find them on the island, they'll probably bring the letter of Titus to Titus because he doesn't have it yet. They, they get this letter, they read the letter. Titus has his commission, but Titus first is supposed to take a break and go see Paul in Nicopolis. So my ministry to you, Titus, is I'm going to send somebody to spell you, to let you have a furlough for a little while, and then your ministry to me is come to me. We need, we need to talk. We need to pray together. We need to work together. We need to think about the strategy of how do you go about appointing elders in every church on the island of Crete. And then... Titus, you also have a ministry to others. When Zenos and Apollos, these other individuals come, make sure you send them on their way. Make sure that you greet them and welcome them. When you read about early Christians, brothers and sisters and friends, what you find is that those early Christians, they traveled from place to place and they were so glad to see each other. They got separated sometimes by long distances and circumstances beyond their control. But then when they were able to be together again, it was a joyful occasion. And, you know, sometimes you might hear things through the grapevine about what brother so-and-so is doing or what sister so-and-so is doing. And when these people would come together, there were words like this in scripture and in letters that they wrote to each other. Make sure that you greet them. Make sure that you send them on their way. Make sure that you're helping them because they're useful in the ministry that they're, that they're about and they're helping Christ in his gospel. Keep your focus. One of the most important things, brothers and sisters and friends, that we can do when there is controversy, when there is division, when there is a temptation on everybody's part to lose our focus is to demonstrate love for one another in practical, tangible, visible ways. Fourth, pleading with each other. Back in verse eight, it was challenging. In verse 14, the word is pleading. And it's almost a carbon copy in some ways. Verse 14, a carbon copy of verse eight of Titus chapter three. Look at what it says. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. He sounds like a broken record. Good works, good works, good works. Christ and his gospel produces good works in us. If we understand that Jesus died and rose again for us, and we understand that we're Christians now, good works is what we're supposed to be all about. And so plead with them, beg them, continue to remind them to be devoted to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And so... In helping people to keep their focus on what's really important, plead with them, Titus. Tell them everywhere you go, you preach sermons, Titus, about how God's people are to be devoted to good works, how they are to do this so that they can help cases of urgent needs. You know, that might be a good occasion for a separate sermon at some point. God knows that the nature of the world we live in is such and even the nature of the church is such that from time to time, really urgent critical needs arise in people's lives. People lose loved ones. People have terrible health problems. People lose their jobs. There are all kinds of urgent needs that people experience. And when the people of God are looking out for good works that they can do, when we're watching and people are reminding us constantly that this is what Christians are all about, doing good to others, 
all of a sudden, we start to see those urgent needs and we don't just say, well, that's not my baby to rock. That's not my responsibility. Rather, because we're devoted to good works, there are cases of urgent, cases of urgent needs that we're able to meet. I also believe that one of the reasons why this section here is, in, is at the end of Titus, you and I need to get used to the idea that much of the ministry that's help, gonna help us grow, much of the ministry that's gonna help us grow has to do with inconveniences. Things that happen to people, things that happen to us that are inconvenient. That wasn't part of my plan. That wasn't on my schedule for this week. That wasn't what I was expecting to do. A lot of what happens in ministry that God intends for our good, not just the good of the people that have needs, has to do with being inconvenienced or has to do with us having to set aside our plans and our schedules so that we can help others. It's about pleading pleading with people to remind them to do good works and not being unfruitful. The other side of this, if you're not going to be involved in good works, if you're not going to be about doing what's right and doing what's good for Jesus' sake, you are by definition unfruitful. You are like a tree that does not bring forth fruit. And read the gospel accounts sometime and think about what God says is going to happen to trees like that. Jesus says, I am the vine you are the branches, and my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. John 15, verses 5 through 8. Plead with the people of God. Devote yourselves to good works. And then finally, number five, encouraging. When it comes to helping us stay focused on what is critically important, what's truly useful and vital in God's service, look at verse 15. Last verse in the book of Titus. All who are with me send greetings to you, Paul writes. He's got a lot of Christians around him, and they're saying, we greet you, we acknowledge you, Titus, and we acknowledge those churches on the island of Crete. He says, greet those who love us in the faith. In other words, Titus, everywhere you go, I want you to tell people that I have not forgotten them. I, Paul, I'm concerned about them, and if they love me and if they know me, tell them I said hello. And then he says, grace be with you all at the end of verse 15. Did you know Paul wrote 13 letters of your New Testament? Every one of the 13 letters of the New Testament begins with grace and peace to you. And every one of the 13 letters ends with grace be with you. Have you ever thought about that? Everyone begins with grace and peace and ends with grace to you all. He's all about God's grace being involved in our lives. But more than that, it seems to me that as you read these letters, these inspired documents like Titus, one of the ways in which God pours his grace into our lives has to do with his word. It is the word of his grace, Acts 20, verse 32. And the idea seems to be that as you read these words and as you put them into your lives, God's grace is gonna be active in your life. If you do and, and, and obey and follow what's being said, and grace will be with you. If you keep these words in your heart and practice them in your life, grace be with you all. And so there's an encouraging aspect to all this. Greet one another, encourage one another, welcome one another. I'm glad to see you. And not just glad to see you in a formal, polite kind of way, but sincerely, brothers and sisters and friends, sincerely, greet one another. The basis for doing so is the fact that we have faith in Jesus Christ. It's a mutual faith. It's like precious faith, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It's a faith that grows and develops as we nurture it and nourish it with love for others. 
faith in Christ Jesus. And the motive has to do with love for those that we actually greet, those who love us in the faith. And so, in order to help us to keep our eyes on what's important, on Christ and his gospel, to keep our focus, God says, encourage one another. May I ask you a question before you put up your notes? When was the last time that you personally went out of your way to encourage another Christian, to keep on fighting the good fight, to keep on serving the Lord? When was the last time that you said something or did something in just, just for the purpose of providing encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ? And may I suggest that keeping our eye on the goal has to do with more of that. The book of Titus, it's about living up to your faith. And even in these final charges that Paul gives, there's so much to be gleaned and there's so much to be thought about in how and why and when we should keep our focus on doing what's good. Doctrine leads to duty. Teaching leads to good works. That's the way that God intended. And so the church needs constantly healthy teaching and the church needs constantly to be reminded that good works for Christ's sake are what we're all about. Thanks for listening this evening. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, you want to obey the gospel, we'd love to help you do that. If you need to respond and ask for prayers, whatever your need, won't you come? All together we stand and while we sing.